Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter 19, and uh, we'll begin reading there with verse 28, Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, how many wants the Lord to speak to your heart today, hallelujah, I need him to speak to me, and I believe that the Lord is speaking fluently and with clarity in this hour if we're able to hear and to listen to him. The Bible said it this way, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I believe the Spirit is speaking if we have ears to hear. I believe he wants to speak to us this morning. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, and when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, what do ye Loose him, or why do you ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owner thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise with a loud voice. For all the mighty, rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. If these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I want to preach from this subject for your consideration. If stones could speak, if, if stones could speak. We want the Lord to help us. Would you lift your hands and let's pray together right now that the Lord God of heaven would anoint, bless, move, have his way in this place. Jesus.
we look to you once again. We're praying, God, for your help, your guidance, your anointing, God, is most important. We're praying, Lord, that you would direct our steps, you would guide our way, that you would help us in this endeavor this morning to do your will. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and could you once again, before we're seated, give praise to him and worship to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. No doubt you've heard the expression, perhaps have even used it yourself at times. If walls could speak or could walls talk. And uh, I found myself in, in occasions visiting historical sites and thinking along those lines. If this room, the walls that are in this room, were able to talk, what could they tell me? Because we know certain details from history have been left out. We also know that everything that maybe as far as all the descriptions of it that we would like to know are not there just in what we read and, and what we hear. So sometimes there is certain things we'd like to know more. I remember uh, visiting the upper room in Jerusalem or what they believed to be the upper room where the Holy Ghost was initially poured out in Acts chapter 2. And I remember standing in that room and thinking this thought, I wonder what these walls would say if they could talk. I know we have a pretty good description in Acts chapter 2. We have all we need really there as far as to tell us how to be saved and record the events that took place. But I just wonder how uh, things happened and occurred. Uh, just before and, and maybe just after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. What were some of the conversations that were going on in the room just before the Holy Ghost was poured out versus what was taking place after the Holy Ghost was poured out? I visited Philadelphia once and, and stood in Independence Hall. And, and uh, I remember thinking, I, I wonder our nation's father founders. I wonder uh, if these walls could talk, uh, what could be said. There's more than just what we have in recorded history, and there's a lot of other conversations that I would like to have the ability to have eavesdropped on. Then, uh, more recently, visiting Christ Temple, G.T. Haywood's church that he founded in Indianapolis, and uh, just before they remodeled it, I was able to to go in and see it as it was in the days that G.T. Haywood pastored there and also the days that Morris Golder, who was an incredible uh, preacher uh, in times past, had pastored there and, and see it just, just as it was. And uh, matter of fact, some of, the, some of the murals that he had painted, G.T. Haywood, and had used in his teaching, we found them in the basement. And uh, there was... The baptismal tank that he had baptized so many souls in. Of course, there's a, a stream across from where the church is that is said to be the place where some of the first converts was baptized before the church was really even built or established there. 
such rich history. And I, I thought as I was looking around that sanctuary, if these walls could talk, this is the first place that some of those songs that we know so well, hymns that are in our songbook uh, that G.T. Haywood wrote after coming to the revelation of the oneness of God, the mighty God in Christ. They were written by his pen and sang for the first time in that sanctuary. And then also the tremendous sermons that have been preached there by he and his successors. Uh, if those walls could talk. This passage occurs on what is traditionally known as Palm Sunday which is just the Sunday previous to Easter Sunday, or uh, we know that this is the time that just a day before, uh, just a few days before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is making his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem towards imminent death. And throughout his public ministry, he has, of course, been performing miracles. It's, it's amazing how, how much power is packed into just those three and a half years from the age that he turned 30 and came public with his ministry until the time at 33 and a half that he was, he was uh, crucified on Calvary's cross. And uh, so many miracles and good works that he has done. And on several occasions throughout his ministry, when he would perform a miracle, when he would touch, for instance, somebody and make them whole, he would announce to them that they not go out and tell it. He, he would forbade them to, to tell anyone about what the Lord had done. And some may wonder, why would he do this? Well, it wasn't his time uh, to be revealed as far as it was not his time for him to go to the cross. And there was a will of God in all of this. And so when he would heal uh, the blind man, for instance, he would tell him, don't, don't say anything to anybody. When he was to raise some from the dead, the Bible says that he explained to them not to tell anyone. Of course, in most of these instances, we find that they could not hold it within themselves. And it isn't amazing when the Lord does something for us. That's the immediate reaction we want to testify about it. In fact, folks that don't have a testimony, it's because they have forgotten what the Lord has done for them. And as long as I can remember what He's done for me, I can remember to be thankful. And my thanksgiving is to give a testimony that he is able to work. He is able to do great things in the lives of people. But now he is on the highway, uh, on the road, if you will, to Calvary. And Jesus is making himself public. He's, he's making a statement here. He's riding as a king on a colt. And he doesn't seem to care now who it is. That notices it. He's not bothered by uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. He's not intimidated by any of them. Uh, for he makes this statement, for this cause I have came into the world. Everything is culminating for this moment. 
Everything is coming together for this specific time. And when the disciples realized that Jesus is uh, doing what he had proclaimed that he was going to do and had promised and told them often that was going to happen. And it's starting to register with them really what is going on. The Bible says that they took their outer garments off and placed them upon the colt and began to lead him down the streets of the city of Jerusalem. And as they did, they would throw, others would throw their outer coat or garment into the way. And then some would wave palm branches before him. And they lifted up their voice and said, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. And they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And over and over again, they would repeat that, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh. In the name of the Lord. Because they realized and they knew. And they had a revelation of the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew in other words who he was. And because they knew who he was they could not hold back their praise unto God. I'm going to tell you if you know who he is it's easy to worship him. If you have a revelation of this truth, it's easy to be thankful and give praise unto God. Amen. If you know who He is, it's easy to clap. It's easy to lift your voice. It's easy to sing when it's time to sing. It's easy to rejoice when it's time to rejoice. I don't know who all was in that crowd, but perhaps the the lady with the issue of blood that had suffered for 12 years and the Bible said after she had spent all that she had, she was nothing better, but gr- rather grew worse. Maybe she was among that multitude that cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Maybe there was Bartimaeus who was blind, but uh, while Jesus was walking down the road, he called for him and he touched and healed him and his eyes were open. Maybe he was there among the crowd that cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Maybe the widow of Nain was among that crowd that had seen her boy's lifeless body get breath placed back within it and the heart start beating again. And she was there crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Just maybe, just maybe, Jairus' daughter, amen, and Jairus himself was standing in that crowd crying Hosanna blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord amen these people all had a reason to worship they all had a reason to magnify the Lord they all had a reason to magnify Jesus and to give praise to him and this upset the aristocracy of the day matter of fact these people had been used to benefiting you know uh, worship and praise makes carnal people nervous. Amen. Worship and praise exposes the lack of desire and passion 
and hunger and spiritual appetite in other people. That's why they get perturbed when somebody around them breaks loose and worships God and gives praise to the Lord. They don't really like it when somebody claps. They don't really care for it when somebody lifts up their voice and gives a hallelujah and a praise and a thanksgiving unto God. Amen. Because it exposes their lack of thankfulness, their lack of appreciation for what God has done. And they didn't like it. And they said, you need to rebuke them. You need to tell them to be quiet. You need to silence this multitude. First of all, I want to tell you, you can't silence a true worshiper. You can't keep quiet a true praiser of God. I've seen people worship the Lord in the midst of disappointment. I've seen people worship the Lord in the midst of trying situations. I've seen people worship the Lord when it seems like everything was turned against them. I've seen people worship the Lord with a bad prognosis from the physician. I've seen people praise the Lord when they were told there was no way out of the problem that they were in. But they still had it in them to lift up their hands. They still had it in them to give praise and thanksgiving unto God. You can't silence a worshiper. But Jesus wheeled around and he said to these that were there, he said, I tell you that if I should, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I like that word, immediately cry out. Sometimes we have to be primed. Sometimes we have to be pumped. Sometimes we have to, we have to be challenged and, and we have to be conjoled and we have to be reminded. But if stones could speak this morning, I said if stones could speak this morning, they, they wouldn't have to be primed. Nobody'd have to sing the verse twice. Nobody'd have to say, come on folks, let's lift up our hands. Nobody'd have to say, come on, let's clap them under the Lord. Nobody'd say, do you have a shout of praise to give to God? But if stones could speak this morning. Come on, help me if you can. Hallelujah. I said if stones could speak this morning, amen, they would give a shout. They would give worship. They would give thanksgiving. They would sing every word of the song with passion in their heart this morning. Oh, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Really, really for you to better understand this text, you got to go all the way back to what he was referring to. You see, he was riding through the city of Jerusalem, which around it had stone walls that had at one point in history, in Israel's history, had been torn down and destroyed. And the city had been left in ruins. And we read about this in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, we find that Sambalat and Tobiah together, they are making accusations against Nehemiah, trying to discourage his attempts to reconstruct and restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in their attempt to discourage him, this is what Sambalat says. He said, what are these Jews? Will they fortify themselves? In other words, how can they build these fortifications 
uh, these people, they they don't know anything about construction. They don't know anything about building walls. I'm going to tell you, you better not ridicule somebody that's got the hand of God on them. You don't know what God can do through people when he anoints them, when he puts his hand of favor upon them. You may think they can't do that. They can't be that. They'll never, they'll never achieve that. I want to tell you, if God favors them and if God anoints them, you better stand back and get out of the way and keep your mouth shut because God can bring it to pass. Oh, yeah. He said, will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they be able to achieve this so quickly? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now, uh, studying about this, you'll find that what he was trying to say is these stones. You know, it's one thing to build another wall, which I don't think they can do. He said, if they build with fresh new stones that have not been burnt, then maybe, just maybe, it would be possible for them to serve as a protection and those walls to stand after they had built them. But I don't think that that is possible. Uh, I don't think it's possible to use these stones that have been torn down, these stones that have been heaped up and burned. I don't think that it's possible for these to be reused. In other words, these things have been through too much. These things are useless. It's futile to even try to build or to rebuild with these stones. You know, that's, that's what is often said of the lives of people. That's what have been, has been said maybe uh, perhaps of many of you. It would be impossible to rebuild. There is so much decimation. There's so much destruction. Their lives have been brought so low. Uh, it, it seems like they're burned out and there's nothing. You've heard the frame. Uh, this is a burned over field. And that's the way we view some people's lives. Is that they're just burned over. There's nothing left. There's nothing you can do. You might as well go find uh, someone else. And, and attempt with someone else to do the work of the Lord. Because uh, there's no way that these stones, this rubbish can ever be restored again. That's what Samballat said. And Tobiah, the Bible says, now Tobiah the Hamanite was standing by him. Which tells us you've got to be careful who you're associating with, who you're fellowshipping with, who, who you, you conversate with, who you talk to, because these two fellas fed one another just like David and Jonathan inspired people to do great things or inspired one another to do great things. These two individuals inspired one another to do wickedly. And the Bible says that Tobiah made this statement, even that while they build, while they're constructing these walls, in other words, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their wall. If a fox was uh, small and, and inconsequential, it would seem that a, that a fox could be. If it would run atop of these walls, they would fall over. They're not even able to support a little tiny uh, vermin that would w- run across the, the top of the wall. I, I'm preaching to you, they were trying their best to condemn them and tell them that it wasn't possible. 
that you can't rebuild with these stones that the materials that you're trying to use well it's futile to even attempt what you're endeavoring to do but I read over there in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 4 to whom coming as unto a lively stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious in other words he is going to restore lively stones that have been disallowed men couldn't see any use for it men the experts said this is done this is over with this is this is not material that meets the inspection but he said those things that have been disallowed by men have been chosen by God he also as lively stones are built up together a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ and then in verse 9 those words that we often like to hear rehearsed in our hearing but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light which in times past were not a people but now everybody say but now but now amen they said we could never be anything again they said we'd never get back up again but just look at us now but now the people of God which are not obtained but now have obtained mercy and have obtained the grace of God I'm telling you God's been good to us God has blessed us and God has kept come on let's give some praise to the Lord let's give some thanksgiving unto God Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Lively stones. Turn to somebody and say, I'm a lively stone. In the Old Testament, when God did something of significance, they gathered stones and they built memorials. I know all of your minds are going back to Joshua chapter 4 and how that the Lord brought the children of Israel through the Jordan, the Bible said, when it was at flood stage, out of its banks, out of control, as bad as it could get, in other words. The Bible says that he stopped and abated the waters of the Jordan and they walked across on dry ground, all of them. Who now, who now were ready to walk into the promise and possess the promises of God. And the scripture says when they got onto the other side, the Lord commanded them, you take 12 stones. You take 12 and place them in the Jordan, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Proof that you've been there. And then you put 12 on the promise side of Jordan to prove that you've been through. And then, when anyone asks you in future generations, your children can explain the testimony that's been handed down to them. When it's asked, what meaneth these stones? You can tell them, just as God brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, He stopped the waters of the Jordan and His people walked across on dry ground. 
Amen. So, these stones are going to speak to generations and generations way on into the future of the miracles that God has done for his people. That's not the only one. But in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Bible tells me about the prophet Samuel who had just witnessed Israel going through a time when their enemy, the Philistines, the perennial enemy, the Philistines, had really, uh, Israel had become somewhat prideful and arrogant, thinking that just because they had possession of the Ark of the Covenant, they were guaranteed victory. And there was a great defeat that they suffered at the hands of the Philistines. And we understand that when God turned this thing around and gave them victory over their enemy, the Philistines, again, Samuel erected a stone between Mesbah and Shen, and he called it Ebenezer. And the meaning of it was this, Hitherto the Lord hath helped us. Uh, in other words, the Lord has helped us to get this far. That, that's the layman's translation of that is the Lord has helped us to get to this place. We didn't get here on our own. We got to being haughty. We got to being uh, too prideful. We got to being so arrogant to think that, that we got here by ourselves. But I want to remind the whole camp of Israel who brought us to this place. That's what got us in trouble is when we thought that we had done it. When we thought that it was, it was uh, within our power and our ability and, and because we were so gifted, that's how we got here. But I want everybody to know that comes through this land, hitherto Ebenezer, hitherto the Lord hath helped us. Stones, stones that, that speak of God's miracles. Stones that speak of God's protection. Stones that speak of God's provision. Stones that, that speak of God, amen, and His mercy and His mighty works to His people. But you move on over there into the New Testament. And we see it all the way back at the beginning of miracles. You know, the Bible talks about the law of first mention. So let's go back to that first miracle in the body in the Bible in, in the book of Matthew chapter 4 uh, it was at Cana and the Bible said there was a wedding feast and, and the host had not calculated the guests just right and uh, maybe didn't know that the party was going to go and the celebration was going to go as long as it did but nevertheless he ran out of wine and the mother of Jesus came to him. Mary came to Jesus and said, uh, they have no wine. He said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Uh, this not My time hasn't came just yet. But she, knowing who he was, having a revelation of who he was, turned to the servants and said, whatsoever he says to do, just do it. Whatever he suggests, I tell you, he has the power. He has the ability to change everything about this situation. And so he looked at the servants and said, you take these, uh, uh, these vessels of clay. You, you take this stoneware, in other words, and you fill these vessels full of water. 
and you bring them back. And they, they fill them, everyone, full with water, just as he said. And when they begin to serve and pour out uh, what had been H2O turned into fine wine, how can that be? I'm telling you, we're serving the one that is able to perform miracles. We're serving the one that is able to heal. We're serving the one that is able to deliver. We're serving the one that is able to come through for his people. Well, so if those stones could speak, I said if those stones could speak this morning, they would say just be obedient to God. Just follow Him. Whatever He says to do. It doesn't matter how bizarre it seems. Far out it seems. Crazy it seems to the flesh. Just go ahead and have faith and believe God and be obedient to Him. You can have a miracle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. What about in John chapter 8? This, this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And, and without becoming graphic this morning, just, just think about that. How humiliating and uh, how terrible of a plight this must, must have been for this lady. Embarrassed and in that society even worse than now. And uh, they brought her before the Lord and, the, and uh, those that were gathered, those elders that were gathered there. And uh, they began to tell him of what they had uh, witnessed and they said she has she has committed adultery and and the lord simply without saying a word bends down and begins to write on the ground amen i don't know exactly what it is that he was writing you you don't know either exactly but whatever it was that he began to write on the ground Suddenly, stones begin to fall out of the clenched hands of those that had gathered around with their minds made up to stone her. And with every thud of a stone that hit the ground, it cried out mercy. It cried out forgiveness. It cried out, amen, grace. It cried out another chance. It cried out, amen, there is a way to change this. It cried out there is hope. With every time somebody dropped a stone that was meant to be hurled in judgment, that was meant to, to, to be uh, cast towards this lady that was caught up in her sin. It cried out, there is an opportunity to be forgiven. I want to tell you, if stones could speak this morning, they would tell you, don't give up. Don't quit. Come running back to an altar. Find repentance. Cry out to God. Cling to the cross. Amen. Cry out for His blood. He can't forgive you. Come on, let's clap our hands and give a little praise to the find another one John chapter 11 I like the way that the gospel of John is is written it's not a synoptic gospel Matthew, Mark and Luke are so closely knitted together in the way that they are written but the storyline of John is quite different from the rest but he often gives us intimate details that are not given to us in the other gospels We know that he was the beloved. He was the one that leaned on the breast of the Lord and was close to him and had such a close relationship with God. Perhaps that's the reason why he gives us so many details that he is able 
to reveal. But he talks about the relationship that existed between Jesus and Lazarus. That they were not just casual acquaintances. But he inserts the detail that they were friends. Because when the news came that Lazarus was sick and nigh unto death. And that Jesus needed to come. He was quite a distance away with his disciples. And the messenger came and notified him of this. And the scripture tells us that they inserted the frame that your friend, your friend Lazarus, not just, you know, maybe there's other Lazaruses that you know, but this is the one, you know, the brother of Mary and Martha. That's, that's the one, the one that you're most acquainted with, the one that you're closest to. And Jesus delayed his departure from that area to go to where Lazarus was. And in the process of time, the scripture says that he died, Lazarus died. And in fact, they went through the procedures of burying him and put, placed him in a tomb. And he was there four days before Jesus showed up. And when Jesus arrived, of course, Mary and Martha are dealing with emotions of hurt, maybe even felt a little betrayed. And, and uh, they, they begin to make their voices heard. They begin to tell, if you would have only been here, this would have not happened. Uh, Jesus, in essence, began to convey, the one you're looking for is standing here. The one you, when you say that he shall rise in the resurrection, the one that you're speaking of is standing beside you. Because I am the resurrection. And the life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, oh, he shall also live. Amen. Don't ever count me out. Oh, but the Bible says that he, he asked, where have you laid him? And they said, well, he's already been in the grave, Jesus. You understand he's been there for four days. And he stinketh by now. This is not going to be a good situation. We placed him in a tomb. And besides all of that, there's a great stone that is over that tomb. And, uh, well, you know, uh, I just don't think, I just don't think it'd be a good idea to take that stone away. Not after him being in the grave for four days. That's, that's not how we do things. If you'd have been here earlier, we believe we could have seen the healing. But we're having doubts about seeing anything beyond this. We, we give up hope. This is, this is an issue that is dead to us in every way. And, and isn't that how we view our problems sometimes? When they get past a certain point, we think, well, you know, it's probably too far gone. I probably just need to learn how to accept this. I need to learn how to get along with this. I need to learn how to just deal and cope with this. But that's not what the Lord had in mind in this situation. You're not going to have to deal with your grief any longer. You're not going to have to go along with, with this. This is not the ultimate will of God. But I want you to understand that I'm not only a healer. I'm a resurrector. I'm a restorer. I can breathe life back into a lifeless situation. 
And when they had rolled that stone away, the Bible says that Jesus walked up to the mouth of that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Notice, he didn't say just come forth because if he had just said come forth, every dead person from Adam until that moment would have come bounding up out of their grave. That's the power of the word of Jesus Christ. But he said, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. That's the one I'm looking for. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in this place that wonders, does he care about my specific need? Does he know about my specific situation? I'm telling you, he's looking right down to where you are right now, Lazarus, and saying, come on, come up out of that grave. Come up out of that situation. Come up out of that turmoil. Come up out of that disappointment. Come up out of that unbelief. Come up out of that hurt. Come up out of that pain. Oh, but if the stones of that tomb could speak, I think they'd tell us today, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't hinder it. But I witnessed it. When the word was spoken, life came back in his body and he come bounding out of that grave. Hallelujah. Now that's the work that the Lord did. I, I just want to add this. That's the work that the Lord did in that particular instance. He called him up out of the grave. He brought him back to life. But the Bible says that when he got to the mouth of the tomb, they noticed something. He was bound with grave clothes. And he spoke to those that were there and said, loose him and let him go. There was a work that the Lord could do and a miracle that only he could do. But there was also the responsibility of those standing by. In other words, the church and the work that they had to do. Hallelujah. Come on, we don't need to be binding people. We need to be loosing people. We don't need to be restricting people. We need to be liberating people. Amen. We don't need to be binding folks' worship. We need to be celebrating people's worship. We don't need to be binding people, amen, by their past. But we need to be celebrating their deliverance from their past. We don't need to hold people down. We need to push people up. Hallelujah. I'm preaching to somebody. Loose them and let them go. Let them worship. Let them praise God. Amen. Let God have his way in their lives. Come on, lift up your hands and let's give some praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand right now and give some praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, some people don't like that. Pastor, if you knew what I knew, most likely I do know. But if you knew what I knew, yeah, what if everybody knew what they could know about you? How would you feel then? Hallelujah. But thank God. Thank God for his mercy and his goodness in our lives. But you know, there is one more I want to talk about here this morning. It's found in Matthew 27. You know that Jesus was crucified and his body Joseph of Arimathea took and placed it in a borrowed tomb. The Bible says that he was there in that three days and a lot of times 
we just we think that's an interval and nothing happening. I'm going to tell you there's a lot that was taking place in the spiritual world during those three days. That's when the possession of death held and the keys to death held in the grave was, was taken from the enemy. That's when we understand so much more about the tabernacle and the plan that God had. And how that that final act of blood being presented in the holies of holies was made during that period or interval of time. But when they placed him in the grave, these scribes, Pharisees, elders, chief priests, all of those, they said, you know what? We know he said that he was going to be in the heart of the earth three days and then he was going to be resurrected. You know, it just we got to make this, we got to hold this thing fast. We, we got to make sure that doesn't happen. We, we can't let this go on. What if we could convince the Romans to do something about protecting the grave of Jesus? And so they appealed to the government of Rome and Pilate made this statement. It's right there in chapter 27. He said, yeah, go ahead and set guards by the tomb. Roll that great stone over it and make it as sure as you can. You know, that's what the devil tries to say to people. I'm going to make it where you'll never get back up again. I'm going to make it where you'll never have another chance. I'm going to make it where you'll never be able to to find God again. I'm going to make it where that you'll never be restored again. I'm going to make it where grace will never be able to reach where you are again. Mercy will be never able to touch your life again. I'm going to make it as sure as I can. But if stones could speak today, On that third day, that resurrection morning, the Bible tells us that when Jesus, when that time came for Jesus to get up out of that grave, that that stone, it didn't matter. It didn't matter how many guards were standing about it. It didn't matter how sure Pilate had made it. It didn't matter what the Romans had decreed about it. When God got ready, amen, the Bible tells us that Jesus come walking out of that grave and no man had to move that stone. The stone was moved out of the way by the hand of God. I'm preaching to somebody here. If that stone could speak, it would tell, amen, there was no way I could stop him. There was no way I could keep it from happening. There's no way that I could hinder it. I'm going to tell you your problems, your difficulties, your sickness, your pain, your brokenness, your sin, your failures, they can't stop you. If stones could speak this morning, they would tell you, come running back to an altar. Find the Lord. Find mercy. Find help. I wonder... Right now, as you lift your hands to the Lord, is there somebody that the Lord is speaking to you right now? The Lord is talking to your heart right now. The Lord is moving upon you right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes. Maybe somebody's realized just in the last few minutes, hey, I got a lot more to be thankful for than I realized.
I've got a lot more to be appreciative of than I realize. I'm not going to hold back. I got to give God an expression of praise and thanksgiving this morning. I'm inviting each, each group to this altar. I'm inviting everyone to this altar this morning. I want you to come. I want you to come. Amen. Desiring God touch you. Desiring God help you. Desiring God work in your life. I want us as a church family to open our hearts to what God wants to do in this place. There's a work of the Spirit that He wants to accomplish in this house. Amen. There's people that God wants to minister to in this room. Hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, reach out to the heavens right now. Reach out to God right now. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, I need you today. I need your help. I need the touch of your spirit. I need you to reach to me in this place this morning. I need you, God, to work in my life here today. Oh, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's talk to him. Let's seek after him. Let's call on him right now.